0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that
1: people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Gerry, And I'm Jo. And this is our next podcast on our Journey Through the Life course. Each month, One podcast is dedicated to the human journey through the social work lens, from pre-birth to the end of life. And uh, we last looked at younger adulthood, which was 20 to 40 or so. Uh, And that means, Jerry, we're up to middle age. Yeah, we're into our own domain, Joe. We are (laughs) indeed.
0: (laughs) Exciting. Uh, So, I've got a couple of thank yous. Um, Firstly, all the people who downloaded episodes in September, we had nearly 3,000 downloads, which is amazing. And over half of them were in America. And I'm also particularly grateful to the people who were downloading in South Africa and Guernsey. Little pockets of people there. Um, Fantastic. We hit more than a thousand downloads for one of our episodes, which is 3A in series three, which is on assessment. So clearly that's something that people are Mm. very interested in. And we had a really lovely retweet from Ruth James, who's studying on an apprentice social work degree course and said that she chaired the podcast with other students on her course and also said that she loves our discussions. Oh, that's that's very very
1: nice. nice. Thank you, you, Ruth.
0: Yeah, that really cheered me up. Um, (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) after having um, done our research for middle age. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. Yeah, so you can tell us what you think um, by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com and leaving a comment. You can comment on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast.
1: And we do want to hear from you. Um, It's always lovely when we get comments and um, especially when we hear that, you know, the things that we're talking about feel useful or are provoking discussion elsewhere. It's a a great thing. So, Jerry, back to this journey that we're going through. We're trying to think about how we grow and evolve and what this means for social workers. And... um, Looking at middle age is, is interesting for us, because both Jerry and I are currently experiencing middle age. So shall you take it away with a few definitions, Jerry?: Yes,
0: yeah, so the Oxford English Dictionary defines middle age as the period between early adulthood and old age, which is a bit of a cop-out really, isn't it, um, but usually considered as the years from about 40 to 45 to 65. Um, and the US Census actually lists the category middle age from 45 to 65.
1: Middle age is, is a fairly would new be concept, actually. Mm. Um, it's something that has only recently come into our language because 100 years ago, most people died around 60 in their 60s. And so now really we're considering ourselves at, at, at middle age in our 60s. So we're living a lot longer and, we're, and middle age is actually the least studied um, part of the lifespan.
0: That's really interesting.
1: And mm-hmm. I think
0: um, along with all the other sort of periods of the life course, one of the things that we need to bear in mind is the massive diversity and inequality yes. of experience across middle age. So I had a look at some of the things that might be happening, some of the possible changes. Obviously, there are some physical changes that might happen, um, some signs of ageing. It will depend on people. Mm. Um, there can be more susceptibility to illness, including mental health problems. Again, that varies massively. There is a natural um, stage for women, which is the menopause end of natural fertility. Mm and then there may also be psychological changes and family changes so there's quite a lot of things that can potentially
1: be going on should we should we kind of take them one by one jerry because you've you've kind of mentioned uh, susceptible to illness but there's some other things in physical you know like your eyesight changes lots of us need reading glasses and um i hang around with a lot of a lot of people who are in denial about this and um then finally rummage around and take them out of their bag and see things a lot better. We also um, have poorer night vision. Um, but if you take care of yourself and you've been active, basically, um, then this can be a time when you have really good body strength and, help, and health as well. So if you've engaged in challenging physical and mental activity and you've engaged in weight-bearing exercises and looked after your nutrition, because, of course, we know that our metabolism slows down, we get that middle age spread. Um you can you can have some really good health at this stage, and you can often achieve things that you've perhaps wanted to do but haven't had time to do. so I know friends who've taken up rowing, for example, and who've done really well really successfully in these areas, so it can be a nice a nice time physically as well
0: so I had a look at the uh, health profile for England um, from last year twenty eighteen um and generally morbidity, which is experience of illness increases reasonably steadily from birth through to the middle age groups and then more rapidly into old age Mm -hmm. so there's different pattern though for mental health and substance use disorders because that tends to occur earlier in life Uh, it's not an older age thing so much um 15 to 39 is where that most of that will be happening right um and in our kind of middle age age group for younger uh, so for men the leading kind of illness issues are back and neck pain and then skin diseases and then depressive disorders and for women um, also back and neck pain and then migraine and skin diseases and Mm. one of the things for us to bear in mind I suppose as social workers is um, that mental and physical health is really closely linked so if you have physical health problems especially long-term conditions you're at more risk of poor mental health particularly depression and anxiety and if you have poor mental health then that can also exacerbate some long-term conditions so there is a real kind of um, interaction between those things but one of the things that struck me from looking at this is that those kind of physical and mental health issues will be really bound up with context won't they what kind of work you do whether Mm -hmm. you have work what your Mm -hmm. life circumstances are what sort of um, living conditions you have what kind of housing you have any trauma that you might have experienced, poverty, all of those things. So there's a real strong um, need for us to look at how well people are within their context.
1: And I think um, um, Latchman uh, talks about that those midlife adults who have a strong sense of mastery and control over their lives are more likely to enjoy good health, but also more likely to enjoy this period um, and you know, being able to use social resources and find it um, a more stable and a more satisfying experience. And what you're talking about, Jerry, is people who have had to struggle over obstacles and have had to keep struggling. And I, I think probably by the time you get to 45, 50, that you could, you could genuinely feel quite exhausted, couldn't you, by that journey? Let's have a conversation about um, this idea of midlife
0: crisis. And then we can have a look at some other kind of potential impacts on people in middle age. So midlife crisis, um, I did look this up. The notion of it kind of began with Freud, um, who posited that when you get to this period in your life, you're starting to think more about impending death. And actually, there is a sort of a logic to the idea that you've generally experienced a period of your life course that will be about equivalent to what you have left.
1: Mm -hmm. So you actually
0: know know how long it is Mm. Um, and a big debate about whether this idea of um, midlife crisis actually means anything very much Um, and there is um, but it is worth thinking about the stresses Mm. Um, so I think there are kind of there's cultural differences obviously there's diversity of people's experience but there is maybe some commonality in terms of the kind of stresses that people might experience including losses um, and changes and bereavements um, and there also is in our culture, so thinking about the UK particularly, there is there is a premium placed on youth. So that could mm. potentially
1: actually ha- you know, affect people as well. We start to think a little bit about our legacy and our purposefulness and whether we have actually achieved the things that we thought we would achieve in our youth. Latchman, again, he provides a comprehensive overview of the challenges that face midlife adults. Um, and these can include losing parents and experiencing the associated grief, launching your children into their own lives, adjusting to home life without children. It's often referred to as the emptiness, dealing with adult children who return to live at home. And we discussed this a little bit, didn't we, when we talked about young adults, um, staying at home longer and then coming back, um, becoming grandparents. Preparing for late adulthood, so around this time, this is when you calculate, oh, I've got about 10 years of earnings left. What am I going to live on after that if I'm living until 85? And so you often find people discussing um, finances and pensions and security. And once again, if you're someone who hasn't managed to attain a lot of these things, particularly security of shelter, then this can start to feel quite scary, I would imagine, Um, And then acting as caregivers for ageing parents or spouses. So they're they're some of the things that Larchman says are the challenges that face midlife adults.
0: Yeah, and that fits really neatly with um, the Office of National Statistics report, um, which was analysis about the population survey. So the most recent one I've got is from 2011 to 12. But it was looking at the influence of different factors on well-being. And that's across the UK. And what they found was that the, the things that most impacted on people's feelings about well-being were health, first of all, and then mm. employment status and relationship status. Mm. So if you kind of hold everything else equal, people who report bad health have much lower ratings of life satisfaction. Um, unemployment has a negative association on well-being. And if you're married or in a civil partnership, you at that point had higher levels of life satisfaction. Um, compared to people who are cohabiting single, divorced or widowed.
1: So it really does depend on the quality of the partnerships you're making, I guess. Absolutely, yes. And there's um, there some other really
0: interesting findings from this um, report as well. So employees with higher wages um, generally had higher life satisfaction, but mm. the feeling of things being worthwhile or levels of happiness and anxiety weren't related to earnings. Mm-hmm. If you had a higher level of educational attainment, you tend to have a higher rate of anxiety. And people in black ethnic groups rated life satisfaction and happiness significantly lower on average than those in the white group. So, again, the social workers, there's things to think about there, aren't they? Not just the things that sure. are likely to be most important, but the different ways people might be able to experience those depending on their on other circumstances they face. The I mean, the other thing that was interesting was about employment around um the importance of the content of your employment, but also the um, choice around being employed. So if you have a disability or if you have poor health or if you are in a caring role, you may just not be able to get work. Um, And we do know there's really significant barriers to particularly people with disabilities being employed um, Mm. and they tend to have a massive earning gap compared to other people. So... Um, Trade Union Congress reported last year that, on average, a disabled worker earns one pound fifty less an hour than a non-disabled counterpart, which is equivalent to two thousand seven hundred and thirty less a year, mm. based on someone working a thirty-five hour week. So, and the you know, different impairments that people experience um, result in different kind of barriers to employment. Um, and then again, for carers, um, if particularly if you're in that kind of sandwich caring where you're looking after children, possibly grandchildren and parents and possibly grandparents, uh, depending mm. on where you are, then access to employment can be a real problem. And it's that lack of choice of being able to, as well as the kind of financial impact for all the people who who experience this. And women are much more likely to give up work because of caring in our country than uh, men are and time's they... more likely.
1: Yeah, and, and it also um, shows that the type of caring you do matters as well. So if you are um, c- caring, say, for, for your grandchildren and you're taking your grandchildren out to access lots of different play groups and lots of different things, and it can actually be something that's very good for you and good for your mental health and good for your um, relationship and physical activity levels and all of that. But if you're housebound... Um, kind of trapped trapped in a house almost because of the level of care you need to offer the person um, then that's actually has a really negative impact on you and none of this is surprising is it but it it is worth really thinking about when when we think about well well what is it that surrounds the job of caring and and how much is it i guess life limiting for both of you because if the carer's life is being limited because of the care they're offering and the, and the person who's being cared for is also experiencing limits, um, I imagine that that would be a fairly difficult situation for them to both be in.
0: Yeah, I think there's some uh, really useful information available about social work with carers. So there is a website, actually, that the Department of Health and Social Care um, funded, dot r-o-p-f-a.org.uk and that's got case studies of of different experiences of caring but including this kind of sandwich caring Mm -hmm. and I think that some of the things that really matter in there are choice and control of course um, Mm -hmm. and opportunity and barriers and inclusion the things that you were just talking about and they relate as, as well I think to the relationship that the carer and the cared for person had before and have now and how that changes uh, so some of the things we talked about around adult attachment uh, last podcast um, around younger adults, that that kind of, you can see that playing out in some of the caring relationships and the way that relationships change and how quick people are to to respond to that um, is really significant. So it's important, I think, if you're a social worker working with a family to think about not just what's the relationship like now, but what's the history.
1: Mm. and And how how well people are adapting to the change. I mean, I I think of this for myself because of course I was a sandwich carer in a way when my son was young and my mother-in-law was living with me. Yeah, Um, And my mother-in-law had dementia and my son was, you know, five, six, seven. So at a very active stage, but at a stage where he still needed a lot of guidance and Bonnie was increasingly needing that as well. Um, and it was interesting, actually, one of the things that changed was was my son's relationship and my mother in law's relationship Some social work thinking about you know the whole spectrum of the generations, all the people living in that household, not just the one who's caring but the but the other any children any any other adults is 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 useful as well
0: yeah absolutely um there's one other element of this that I wanted to talk about before we get into some more of the kind of positive stuff and also what we can do which is Mm -hmm. uh suicide is obviously um a tricky thing to talk about um it's it is important I think though to note that the in the UK the highest suicide rate is is in this age group and that really shocked
1: me actually Jerry I didn't even realize that at all sorry but yeah yeah um
0: now, it, from the um, reports from the Samaritans, um, there has been a significant decrease in suicide rate overall, uh, but it is something we need to be just really aware of in mm. this age group, um, and also to be aware in if you are in the United Kingdom that in Northern Ireland suicide rates, for both men and women, are higher than the other UK nations. Um, it would appear from the data that we have, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's something for us to be kind of really really thoughtful about as social workers if we're talking to people um, and to make sure that we can access the specialist help that we'd we'd need to.
1: Mm. And so that's that's very interesting to me because you know as you know I work mostly with children. So as an adult social worker, if you were working with somebody and and you the, who was middle aged and you kind of looked at their profile and you saw that they kind of um, had a low sense of control and a low sense of identity and a low sense of self self mastery and and they weren't um, kind of managing um, with employment or with health or those kind of things. Would you would you then kind of ask them a, a, about suicidal ideation or? or... Well,
0: I think one of the things that we would always do in adult services is talk to the people that we're working with about. What outcomes they want, what their what their aspirations are, what their aims are for their mm-hmm. life. So the the mm-hmm. conversation that you would have in an adult social care assessment would be around what's happening to the person and the impact on them. So mm. it may well be that things come out there around um, how people are feeling about what's happening, but also mm. you need to talk about what outcomes the person wants to achieve. And I think if there's a real feeling that there's no there's a limited future, then yeah. I would hope that again in that conversation it would come out now. Um mental health social workers would you know have the the um the learning and the and the support and the um understanding i guess to to act on that kind of concern. I think mm. for other social workers um certainly if it was me who was in practice, I would need to seek advice okay um, because yeah it's really important that um that you have a conversation that's helpful um yeah so but yeah absolutely never um never close down that kind of conversation and always be open to people being able to tell you what's really going on for them i think would be my yeah. sort of advice and then absolutely seek seek the specialist
1: support that you'd and i wonder how many for instance children's social workers know um you know when we're trying to support middle-aged parents who are maybe maybe struggling with teenagers or things like that um whether that's something that even comes across our radar.
0: I think it is really important to understand the struggles that people might experience based on the research. So mm, mm. knowing that health and employment and relationship um, will affect people in this, in this age group, particularly um, around their well-being and understanding what some of the um, differentiated experiences might be. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, with any individual being really open to a conversation about what is life like for them. Um, yeah and what it's... you know what do they want for the future yeah i mean you've talked a little bit about some of the um resilience factors i guess in yeah
1: age. so have you more yeah. i have got a few more um i talked to you a little bit about the fact that you know the people who have strong sense of mastery and control over their lives um and who engage in challenging physical and mental activity do a lot better, but also there's a few important things that we have on our side. Tacit knowledge, so um, pragmatic or practical uh, knowledge learned through experience, um, actually grows with age, and so that's something that um, increases for us. So that's a good thing. So in other words, you know, all this living, it, it gives us some wisdom and some skills and some knowledge, so we can kind of problem-solve much easier um, in very practical ways, which is great. Our verbal memory, our spatial skills, and generalising, this is once again that, you know, generalising from um, particular examples, and our vocab increases as well. Um, you know people people joke about um, their memory going as they get older. Well, unfortunately, uh, it does go get slower. Our speed of processing gradually declines, but, You know something? With all the technology around, that's not such a problem as it used to be. So um, using apps and your phone and all sorts of things can really help enhance um, that stuff. So that's good. I think the thing is, the nicest thing is, there's something about the getting of wisdom in a way because you start to understand what you can survive. So your window of tolerance on difficult emotions has most likely increased so with support you're probably able to manage the impact of life events um, it's also a time when you can be very settled in your friendships and your place in the world you can have a clear sense of self identity and control um, we can be much more flexible and less rigid in our decision making so we tend not to worry about the smaller issues and we're likely to become more balanced in our midlife Um, and flexibility is very key for this to happen and once again when I talk about all of this what comes to mind for me is yes in good circumstances middle age is a time where you can really thrive And so what we need to really be thinking about as social workers is how we can help people have the context and the environment and the opportunities around them to do that thriving. The lifespan shouldn't be a surprise to us. We should be able to think about what each span requires and be talking about it and helping people plan for it, and looking for ways. So when we're working with young adults, we're thinking ahead, thinking when this person is in their midlife, they're going to do better if they have these this set of characteristics and things around them. So how can we help them gain those, so that we're we're future we're future proofing as as much as we possibly can.
0: Yeah. So there's some things that I think uh, come into the social work role then. Um, They may be relevant to other age groups, but particularly thinking about this age group. So the number one for me is income. If if people don't have money, they don't have choice and control. Um, There needs to be a lot of redistribution because by this stage in the life course, we're talking about a really long kind of accumulation of impact Mm -hmm. on people. Um, And uh, as part of that, income are the kind of basics, like being able to afford to live somewhere, being able to have and water and all that kind of stuff. Um, Second big thing is around anti-discriminatory practice or anti-oppressive practice because mm. if people have got different scope for well-being if it mm. is related to your opportunities for employment and good health and relationships then we need to work harder to overcome some barriers than others so really understanding what barriers different groups face yeah It's sort of human rights social rights kind of approach and that i think encompasses both the idea that people ought to have the right to the kind of essential hallmarks of being um, a full citizen and also that people ought to have the right to make choices about their life so in that in, in in this kind of area of work middle age going into it, um, older age as people start to experience significant challenges maybe like for example an acquired brain injury um, early onset dementia um, s- significant um, physical changes or illnesses kind of things we can quite often be really re- risk averse if we're not careful so making sure that um, adults are entitled to take risks and define mm. their own safety and define their own outcomes I mean that's important for all age groups so of course yes and the other thing that I was thinking about was the kind of complexity that people might face um and the need then to be thinking about social work as complex work and again this this applies to to all social work, but there was a really good evidence review by research and practice for adults about working with complexity, which talked about um a couple of kind of key practice pointers, so recognizing the complex environment, navigating it by relationships, so the relationships with the people most nearly involved, but also their networks and the network Mm. of professions. And trying to work from a bottom-up approach where the person in the midst of this stuff is the person building up and building out the kind of solutions. And also this really, really practical thing of if you're working with complexity, then two things are really helpful. One is sticking with it, Um, You not thinking you can just... Do something and then go away. Uh, and then alongside that, that kind of continuity of understanding and involvement, um, which is something that we really struggle with in the social work world, because we quite often kind of dip in and out. Mm. But we need to have some kind of life course awareness.
1: Definitely.
0: And some sort of continuity.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's a, a really interesting way to think about things. And and what I was thinking about as you were talking about that was was the fact that for a person in their middle age, their web, their footprint of life is most likely to be quite tangled and complex, isn't it? Um, Because whether you have, in your own view, been successful or whether you have, in your own view, been struggling – you still would have had many people touch your life and you would have touched many lives and you would have been in and out of all sorts of different social and employment and other contexts. And um so it is it is a really complex time of life. And you talked about it being the sandwich generation. Well if you think if they've still got parents but their parents and sometimes grandparents, just those family tangles are, are quite complex, aren't they? Yeah, So Um, I think
0: that kind of the the core of social work around relationship based practice, um, working to overcome oppressions and working in a strength based way. So looking for how those resiliences that you talked about, what are the things mm -hmm. that people can bring to their situation? What have they learned? What have they overcome? Um, What strengths and networks do they have? But bearing in mind that that's that has to go hand in hand with this anti-oppressive practice approach, because you can't just say to someone use your strengths you have to understand what the barriers Mm. have been to them developing those strengths and to 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 deploying them as well and
1: you've got some um really good practice scaffolding here jerry that i um i really like you know that idea of making sure that um we're aware of our role within the system for example and that we know what part we're playing as well as um, what part other people are playing and that we use that strength-based approach and build networks that we, we do use the evidence. We, we don't, you know, middle life is um, under research, but there is some good evidence out there and that we use evidence-informed tools like, you know, and the, and the eco map is a really great tool I think um, and also a good family tree and a good life, a good life map where you just ask people to chart you know what have been the significant events for them in their whole over their life? It can really help to look at that um, thinking about working well with other agencies. And once again, by the time you get into adulthood and you've led you've kind of led a complex life, then there will have been many agencies involved with you most likely. Um, so we need to really understand what they're doing. and I think for me, children and adult services working well together. And, you know, using supervision, peer support, absolutely. And and if you, you know, and talking to your colleagues, like I'm a child social worker, my conversations with Jerry help me understand things from an adult point of view. And I think that's wonderful. And we've got that, we've got that chance to have that perspective from each other.
0: Yeah, I think there's a really valuable thing. We talked about it when we were preparing for the podcast around this being a really fertile period of life for mentoring. Mm. Uh, So if you are, you know a new social worker um working with people who are 20 years into their career as many people in this age group will be if not 30 years um then you've got a real richness of experience and learning there there's real opportunity for knowledge transfer from this group of people particularly if they have um worked through difficulties and developed a kind of resilience and wisdom from that Mm. Um, and that can also really help with um With people in in this age group to kind of have an, you give something back, offer something back, and recognize their own experience and ability as well.
1: That's exactly right. As you were saying that, I was just thinking, well, of course, um, this is a a great time for parent mentors, for example, um, people who have lived through difficult times and managed things um to be able to mentor younger parents who are struggling um and I know certainly personally I've had an older mentor who um has has been really great support for me in that regard because of course I lost my parents myself and and Pete lost his so we didn't we haven't had that wisdom and so we d- we do have a set of of people that we turn to and in the same way for a lot of our clients and i 'm thinking um, particularly people who might be who might be in that caring role um, with children with disability who are now adults, and those things may well have lots of wisdom that they can offer that they don 't even think of as as something that they can offer out
0: so there is an important reciprocal element to working with people always, but mm. in this particular age group as well thinking about if somebody is facing some struggles and we're trying to identify networks of support for them there is also a reciprocal element because very likely people will have um capabilities and Mm. knowledge and wisdom to offer others yeah Um, and it's a very different experience i think having reciprocal support than feeling like you're just a recipient
1: I think that, and I mean, and that would be the ideal at any age, wouldn't it really, that we were never treating people as a passive recipient of anything that we were doing. But for me, because middle age is that time where actually, you know, our, our wisdom and our understanding of ourselves and the world around us is kind of strengthening, it's a really good time to help people realize that, they, that that's something they might have that they might not have even thought of. Um,
0: there's a, there's a load of other things that I would, I feel like we could have talked about, um, or we don't really have time. Um,
1: well, there's a, there's, um, some work to be done here. I think Jerry as in the most under-researched, um, lifespan area. So, um, maybe one of our reflective questions could be around how much we really understand, um, this, this midlife journey from the point of view of the people that we work with. Um, And and then how can we use the evidence that there is
0: alongside a real personal relational approach to understand what's happening to people, the impact on them and, and what they hope for for the future?